We've been doing a series this Christmas that we're calling the rest of the story. And the rest of the story is the fact that Jesus has come more than just to die. He was born more than just to die to pay for our sins. And uh, while that is true, and we'll talk about that next Sunday morning, uh, we also see it's true that we learned last week that he came to be a king. He told Pilate, this is what I was born for. This is why I came into the world was to be a king. And this morning we're gonna see that he also came to bring a kingdom. Because what does a king do? <laughs> they rule over a kingdom. And so this morning, we're gonna take a look at that kingdom that Jesus has brought and because he was born. Now, the nature of a kingdom is very simple. It has three parts when you think about a kingdom. There's a king. There's somebody who's ruling. There's a people, the people who they rule over. Then there's a territory, or um, you might call it a domain, the realm over which that king has authority to exercise his rule. Now, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about a realm that, yeah, in the future will be earthly and even into eternity, a new heaven and new earth. But we're going to learn today that that realm is a spiritual realm that's going on even right now. And so Jesus is ruling over a realm of people today that are known as believers in Jesus Christ. And we're gonna learn a little bit more about that this morning. So I just wanna encourage you, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter three. And let's learn about this kingdom that Jesus came to bring to us. Matthew chapter three. Now I'm gonna show you something right up front. It's interesting that both Jesus and John the Baptist came preaching the exact same message. Look at John the Baptist in Matthew chapter three, verse one. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now turn over to chapter 4, verse 17, and we see that Jesus was preaching the exact same message. He came out of the wilderness and the trial with the devil. He said this, uh, Matthew 4, 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus said the kingdom is at hand. That means it is so close that you can reach out and touch it. It's so close, you know, like when a real fine meal is made, but you see it in the other room or it's way out there. You can't smell it, but you can see it. Jesus is saying this meal of the new kingdom of God that's coming is so close. You can taste it. You can smell it. You can touch it. That's what Jesus meant when he said the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what John the Baptist, guys, the kingdom is right here in front of you. Now, there's something that's interesting. Jesus nor John, neither one took the time to explain what the kingdom was. And you, you go through and, you know, you say, well, that's interesting. He's calling these people to repent. He's calling them that the kingdom is at hand. Be able to explain. There's a reason for that. 
because he knew and they knew what the kingdom was. The, the, you know, obviously Jews were very strong and educated in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is full of teachings about the kingdom of God. And so they knew when Jesus and John were talking about the kingdom, they thought about the kingdom that they learned about all their life in the Old Testament. I love the way it's summarized in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. We have that up here for you, and it says this. In the days of those kings, the God, by the way, this is that chapter, has that big statue, and Nebuchadnezzar, you know, Daniel interpreted for him about all these kingdoms that were going to come, and then eventually he talks about in the, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. And when he says the God of heaven will set up a kingdom, they knew when he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, they knew exactly what talking. It's the kingdom that God's going to bring here to earth and destroy every other nation and a kingdom that's going to last forever. Now, some people try to make a distinction between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And, and they try to, you know, I'm not going to try to go into all that. I just want to, want to show you this morning this. They're really the same thing. The kingdom of God is used 68 times in the New Testament. You find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but you find it in other books of the New Testament as well. The kingdom of heaven is only used in the book of Matthew, and it's used 32 times. You're in Matthew. Turn to Matthew 19 for a second. Let's look at this. Look at Matthew 19, verses 23 through 24. And what we're going to see is that Jesus uses these words synonymously. He doesn't make a distinction between them. He kind of shows whether you're talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, they're the same thing. So in verse 23, Jesus said of Matthew 19, he said to his disciples, truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. <laughs> Jesus, our kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, he's using synonymously to talk about the same thing. It's interesting, since Matthew is the only place to use the kingdom of heaven, that uh, when Mark and Luke speak of the same parables that Jesus spoke of, they use the word kingdom of God where Matthew used the kingdom of heaven. So I just want to encourage you, don't think there's some kind of special difference between the two, whether he's talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. He's talking about the kingdom that they learned about in the Old Testament that, that they were waiting to appear. And what would have been in their mind is what we learned in our series uh, on the people of promise. If you have the card that we handed out where we summarize the, the 16 main promises that they would have known from the Old Testament, this is the stuff that would have been in their mind. They would have been thinking about a land forever, these descendants that were going to come, the seed, these blessings that God was going to bring, 
that God would be their God forever, that Israel would repent. And it's interesting that what's the call? Speaking to the people of Israel, repent for the kingdom of God is in heaven. You learned that. Repentance precedes the coming of the kingdom. And so we, knew there, we know there's going to be future repentance of Israel. They're, they're going to be restored to the land. They're going to be regathered from all the world. The nation will be converted. Israel's enemies will be judged and the nation will be full of blessings. And you can understand why this was important to the Jews when the time of Jesus. They were looking for a deliverer and a king to come that would set them free from the dominion of Rome over them. And that's why they were so frustrated with Jesus. They're looking for a warrior king to come as a military king to set him free. Jesus came in a whole different way. We learned uh, from David that there was gonna be a king forever who's gonna rule forever over a kingdom forever. And then basically the new covenant, we learned there's gonna be spiritual blessings of forgiveness, a new heart and the Holy Spirit. That's important to keep and then abiding material blessings. So this is what was in the mind of the Jews. They're looking for a kingdom like this. And Jesus saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This thing you guys have been waiting for is so close, you can reach out and touch it. It's like you can smell it as if the dinner was just brought in the room. But then we move on from here that we move on from the kingdom of heaven is at hand where Jesus says, guess what, guys? The kingdom of heaven has come upon you. It's not just close. It's here. It's here. Turn to um, Matthew chapter 12. We're going to keep you in the book of Matthew primarily today so you, you don't have to switch back and forth all over. But in Matthew 12 is an interesting passage where Jesus had cast a demon out of a blind and deaf man. Um, I'm sorry, he was blind and unable to speak, blind and dumb. And it says this in verse 24, but when the Pharisees heard this, they said that this man Jesus cast out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. You know what? Jesus did this by the ruler of the demons. He, he cast out that demon. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said this to them. Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If by... Beelzebul, if I by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. No longer is the kingdom at hand. Now the kingdom is right here. It's come upon them. The, the reason Jesus is saying this is because we, we just reviewed that, but we learned in the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit comes in the kingdom of God, he's going to do extraordinary miracles. And when Jesus cast out a demon by the power of the Holy Spirit, that means, guess what, guys? The kingdom's here. The Holy Spirit's in operation. 
You don't have to wait any longer for this. It's happening, and that's why Jesus said the kingdom has come upon you. Then in Luke 17, 20, look at this. I'll put this one in PowerPoint so I have to flip over. The Pharisees were asking Jesus, when is the kingdom going to come? And he said this in Luke 17, 20 through 21. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Kingdom of God is right here in the middle of you. <laughs> Standing right here. When Jesus, now some people try to say in your midst means in your heart. It can't mean that because who was Jesus speaking to? People who rejected him and didn't believe in him, the Pharisees. So he's not referring to the kingdom in the midst in your heart right here because what he's referring to is that the king is standing right here and wherever the king is, the kingdom is. Jesus was right there in his, their midst. And so Jesus was saying that first of all, the kingdom of hand, the kingdom of God is at hand, is so close you can reach out and touch it. Now he says it's right here in your midst. Turn to Matthew 13. We turn to the parables of the kingdom. And again, we see what, what's going on. Jesus came offering the kingdom. They rejected the king. They say, no, you're from Satan. Uh, the, and so now Jesus turns after telling all the kingdoms were here and he turns to the disciples and he starts going to teach them about the mysteries of the kingdom. Listen in verses 10 and 11, Matthew 13. And the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus just told them the parable. They said, well, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus said this, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been granted. Mysteries we learned actually in our last series very simply is this. It's a truth that was not revealed previously in the Old Testament, but now is going to be revealed. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to tell you guys some new truths about the kingdom that you never heard about in the Old Testament before. So the parables become the parables of the kingdom, the mysteries of the kingdom of God that teach us things about God's kingdom that they never would have known, they never would have expected because their thoughts were camped in the Old Testament. So Jesus goes through the parables to show them the nature of the kingdom from the time they rejected Jesus until the time he returns. I want to show you this real quick. Just, just follow me for a second. Go down to verse 19 of chapter 13. As Jesus explains the parable of the sower, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom... Parables about the kingdom. Remember, Jesus said, he speaks in parables to teach them mysteries, new things about the kingdom. Look at down in uh, Matthew 13, Matthew 13, verse 24, the tares among the wheat. Jesus presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven 
may be compared to a man who sowed seed in the field. See, all these parables are about the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. What's it gonna be like? Here's some new truths you guys didn't know and didn't have before from the Old Testament. It can be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Look at down in verse 31. He presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in the field. Then you go down to verse 33. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like, I think we're seeing, the parables are about the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And this one is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. Look at down to verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This kingdom is so valuable, it's worth everything you got. Then look at down in verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. So here we see Jesus using parables here and in other portions of the Gospels to teach lessons about the kingdom. Verse 47, again, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea. Now I want you to look at verse 51 here. Have you understood all these things Jesus says to the guys? They said, yes, we have. And Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe who becomes a disciple of the kingdom of God. Now, a scribe, they were the uh, Jewish men who studied the scripture. They transcribed the scripture. They were so careful in the transcription. They would count the letters. They would count the words in every line just to make sure they got it right. These people were so familiar with God's word. They studied it. They transcribed it. They wrote commentaries on it. So these were the experts in the kingdom of God from the Old Testament. And this is what Jesus said. Every scribe who's become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household who brings out of his treasures the new and the old. What's the old? The old are the truths that you would have known about the kingdom from the Old Testament. The new are the new truths that I'm revealing to you today and which we learn throughout the rest of the New Testament. And so, what he's saying here is, is that the, the disciple of the kingdom takes what they know in the Old Testament, they take the new truths we learn in the New Testament, and that's the treasure house of what they bring. For instance, the old, the, drag, the, the parable of the dragnet, that's about a judgment at the end of this period of time. But you take the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven, it says this kingdom is going to start very insignificantly, and it's going to grow and become the greatest among all. So Jesus tells the parables of the kingdom to be able to help them understand. Now, I'm gonna do this real quick. I took all the parables and tried to summarize the, te the new teachings Jesus is bringing. Let me read that to you quickly. Um, the parables teach us the new features of the kingdom that have been in operation from the rejection of Jesus until he uh, returns. During this time, the righteous and the wicked will coexist with one another. Satan himself will be very active. 
Um, during this, um, at the end of this age, no one else can enter the kingdom. There'll be a judgment for the wicked and rewards for the sons of the kingdom. The kingdom will start very small, but powerful. It will grow and advance until it surpasses all other kingdoms. But it's a kingdom of supreme importance and value worth everything we have. Because Israel rejected Jesus as the Messiah and King, the kingdom is taken away from them and given to a people producing its fruits. The invitation to this kingdom will now go out beyond the people of Israel to many others. People will respond differently to the word of the kingdom. And since many are called, but few are chosen. Entrance into this kingdom will not be based upon bloodline, religious heritage, but rather upon repentance and belief. The kingdom will be an internal, invisible, powerful, spiritual kingdom. It's a kingdom of giving and receiving forgiveness. It's where Jesus is. The kingdom is where the king is. But no one knows the day or hour when Jesus will return and bring a close to the age. Everyone should be prepared, watching and serving the master by doing his will until he returns. And Jesus told his disciples that his little earthly kingdom would not be right away. Remember, they were getting near Jerusalem and they said, Jesus, are you going there now to set up the king? He says, no. Then he told them a parable about a king going on a long journey. And he says, at the end of that journey, the king returns. And he gives rewards to those, to them, the things that God had entrusted to them, how faithful they were in carrying them. What was the reward of that? Reigning in the cities. Reigning in the kingdom. So the way that we are faithful right now to what God has put in our hands, whether it be a spiritual gift, whether it be relationships, whether it be time, whether it be money, whether it be treasures, whether it be talents, all of that is what God will reward us according to when he returns. And the way that we respond now to those things will determine the reign that we will have along with Jesus in his kingdom. Simply stated, the kingdom of God during our time right now is the rule of God by his spirit over the hearts and lives of men and women. And I believe the visible manifestation of the kingdom during this time is basically the church of Jesus Christ, God's people in this day. You see, this is how theologians talk about it. They say it's like this. The kingdom of God is already but not yet. It's already in existence. It's already in operation. And remember where the king is? The kingdom is, correct? Jesus said, you know, it's upon you because the king is in your midst. Well, where is Jesus today on earth? He's in the hearts of his people. The kingdom of God where Jesus is reigning and king is over believers today in a spiritual realm. It's a spiritual kingdom that's full of power where Jesus rules over the life of his people. The not yet part is when Jesus returns and he'll be a king not only over believers but also over non-believers and, and it'll, the realm will be here on earth from Jerusalem but then in eternity in the new heaven and new earth as he sits on the throne together with the Father and as they share that reign together. Jesus 
kingdom is an eternal kingdom. It always existed. It, it, it always will exist, always was, always is, always will be. And Jesus is the king. So what do we do with this? How do we apply this? We're not just waiting for a king and a kingdom to come at the return, but we're a part of God's kingdom right now. It's a powerful kingdom. Romans says it's a kingdom that's not made up of eating and drinking, a bunch of rules and regulations, but it's a kingdom that is made of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Again, there, you know, the Holy Spirit's an operation when the kingdom of God is operating. And here's the reality, brothers and sisters, that know Jesus. We live in the midst of two kingdoms. There's two kingdoms going on at the same time. They're both invisible kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of Satan. And they're both vying for our allegiance and our hearts. And, and as you and I, we kind of feel and we see this material world, uh, we got to remember we're pawns in a battle that we learned all the way back from Genesis where her seed and his seed were going to be in conflict with one another where Jesus would eventually, uh, while he'll bruise Jesus' heel at the cross, he'll crush Satan's head. And we're in the midst of a spiritual battle that's real. There's two kingdoms going on at the same time and we can't see him. You know what Satan wants to do? He wants to keep us blind to the fact because we get so caught up in what we see. But the reality is there's a deeper reality that's going on. This world is real. I'm not saying it isn't real, but there's a deeper reality and a deeper story that's going on than what we can see with our eyes. And each kingdom has its own program and its own system, its own ways, its own pattern its own mold, its own principles and standards. It has its own philosophy and its own values. It has its own goals and its own methods to get there. It has its own wisdom. It has its own viewpoint. It has its own love. It has its own morality. And you say, well, where do we learn this? Well, I'll tell you where you learn the kingdom of Satan is you look out at the world and you say, what's their wisdom? What's their values? What's their goals? What's their ends? You know, what's their program, so forth and so on. If you want to understand what they are of God's kingdom, you look right in here. And we see a great contrast between the two. You see, the world is doing this. Its desire is to squeeze us into its mold. Satan and his kingdom is working not only on unbelievers, but on believers to put the pressure on us coming from his kingdom and his way of thinking and his values and his viewpoints and his methods and goals. And he's trying to squeeze Christians in to look just like the world and to buy into it. But what God is doing, he's transforming us because he's using everything in our lives to make us into the image of Jesus. There's two different goals, and both of them are competing 
for our attention. Now the scripture says this, while we're in the world, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not of the world. That's not your nature, that's not your source. You and I have been transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Look at what Colossians says. Giving thanks to the Father for he has rescued us from the domain of darkness. Now, remember early on, what's the three parts of a kingdom? A king, there's a people, and there's a domain, a territory, a realm over which that king operates. And what we're saying here is that God has rescued us from the domain, that place where Satan works that is characterized by darkness, and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, those are two words. If you understand what's God doing in the world, one of two things. He's at work either to transfer people out of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And for those of us who've already been transferred, he's working to transform us into the image of his son. So you can remember those key words to understand the big picture of what God's doing. He's transferring people and he's transforming believers. That's God's agenda. And how close is our life live to that? So here, here's what I wanna close with this morning. Which kingdom bless, best reflects your life? You know, it's possible to be a believer and live like the world. It's possible to be under the influence and the pressure and the power of, of darkness while being a child of God. And so I just wanna ask you this morning to consider your life. What is your thinking more reflective of? The things you value, the way you spend your time, your loves, your lifestyle, all those things we talked earlier, because if you look at those, you're gonna see a reality of, am I really living with Jesus as my king who was born to be a king and brought a kingdom, it wasn't just about a bunch of spiritual rules, but a kingdom that brings righteousness, a kingdom that brings joy, and a kingdom that brings power by the Holy Spirit. Is my life looking like somebody that's been transformed by the Spirit of God? Is my values, again, we've said, is my Christmas look like that? Or is my Christmas all like the Earth's Christmas in the kingdom of darkness, where everything, all you can see about Christmas is what this world sees? But we as brothers and sisters in Christ see there's a bigger story about Christmas, and that's the story of the birth of our King, who brought a kingdom, a kingdom that's powerful. So let me just ask you today, which kingdom more reflects your heart and your walk? And for those of you that don't know Jesus, guess what? Jesus was born to die for our sins so that we could be transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. We're gonna close in John. Turn, turn quickly to John chapter three. I want you to see this. 
Again, this morning's thrust is the kingdom. Well, how do I get into this kingdom? How am I transferred into the kingdom of God? How can I be rescued this morning from the power in the domain of darkness that's been influencing my life if I don't know Jesus? By the way, if you do, when you're living by the influence, you start with repentance. <laughs> Come to God and be honest, say, God, you know, I'm not, I haven't been living the way you want. This world is holding power over me. I acknowledge that and I open up my heart for the Spirit of God to take control of my life and fill me with the life of Jesus. But now for those of, that's, that's for those of us who need to be transformed. For those who need to be transferred, John 3, 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Can't be a part of the kingdom unless you're born again. Jesus' own words. Then down in verse seven, he says this, don't be amazed that I said to you, you must, you must be, in just an option, one of many, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do, but do not know where it comes from or where it's going, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. We need to be born of the Spirit of God to become a member of the kingdom of God. Now that you're in John 3, just turn over back to John 1 because now we understand how one is born of God. John chapter 1, great story about Jesus' eternality and his godhood, but then coming to the world, and guess what he says in verse 11, he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, remember Jesus said you had to be born again, who were born not of blood. In other words, guess what? If you were born into a family where your parents are Christians, that doesn't mean you're a Christian. <laughs> this is something that has to happen individually. This isn't passed on by family line and by blood. So they're not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. Not, okay, well, I'm just going to start living like a Christian today. I'm going to, be a, I'm going to make a choice. I'm going, to, I'm going to start living like a Christian. Nor the will of man. You can't have some pastor or priest come up and say, I, I ordain you, I, I bless you, you're now a Christian. Or, you know, some kind of practice or habit that they do. It's not my own efforts. It's not somebody else has come upon me. It's not how you're blood but of God. We gotta be born of God. And verse 12 tells us that as many as received him, as many as welcomed him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, born of God. Those who welcome him into their life, to them they become children of God. Then he says, even to those who believe in his name. You know how you become a child of God? You believe upon Jesus and what he did for us at the cross and in the resurrection, how he paid my sins at the cross and how he rose from the dead to give me a brand new life so that I can enter into the kingdom of God. And when I turn 
and repent from saying, God, you know what? I've been trying to do this myself. I've been trying to be religious enough and moral enough and do enough good deeds. Or I thought I was okay because my parents are believers. When we turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, you know what? I have no hope but you. And I put all my trust in him and rely upon him with everything I got. At that moment, the Bible says that you're born again at the core of your being. God not only forgives your sins, but he gives you a brand new heart, a heart that wants to walk with God. And he puts his Holy Spirit inside that heart. Guess what? Where, where uh, the Spirit of Christ is, the kingdom is, and that Spirit comes in your life and begins to work in you, to transform you, to make you want to walk with Jesus and obey Him, and not just do it because you're supposed to. So I just wanna encourage you this morning, if you're here and you've never received your transfer paper, sort of saying, make today the day. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day to make Jesus the reason for the season. Today's the day to stop being under the influence of the domain of darkness and to embrace Jesus with your heart of hearts and faith and thank him for what you've done, what he's done for you as you acknowledge your inability to please him. And Jesus said, you'll be born again and you'll see the kingdom of God. So Father, I just pray now that, I just pray that your word would enter deep within our being. And if there's people here today that have never been transferred into the kingdom, I ask God today that you would, you would by your spirit cause them to be born again. And Father, if there's people here today as believers that need to be transformed because their life looks more like the domain of darkness. I pray you'd speak to them today, Lord, and that you would grant them repentance and you would turn them around by the power of the Holy Spirit and their whole lives would be oriented around Jesus. I just ask that in Jesus' name, amen.